Welcome to the Compass Christian Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. For more information, visit us at compasslu.org. All right. Well, welcome, everyone. Uh, my name is Jason, as Paula said earlier, and uh, I'm super excited to be teaching on Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 16. So we're still in Ephesians. Surprise, surprise. If that's, uh, if that's a surprise to you, any, you know, we, should, we should talk because we've been in Ephesians for a while and we'll continue for a while. <laughs> uh, but we're going to be looking at the first half of a, the second section of Ephesians 2. So there's kind of two halves of it in the way it's split up. And so the past two weeks, we've looked at the first section of, of Ephesians 2. We looked at sort of the cosmic perspective of the situation of humanity, how we were separated, how God took action, and then how he has worked to build us into something more. We saw how we were dead in our trespasses and sins, uh, following the powers, the prince of the power of the air, and how God, through his overabundant grace, pulled us out of that. And so, you know, we saw that, and then this week we're going to start looking at how. We're going to look at the how God saved us from a physical, practical, and covenantal perspective and what our response should be. We're going to take a look at some of the covenants in the Old Testament and see what those would have meant to the Jews at the time. And we're going to take a look at the new covenant and that, what that meant for the community uh, that was forming, that was being built, what that meant to the Gentiles when they were hearing this. Uh, and we're going to see how this parallels the first section, how it lines up with what we saw about grace. Uh, and then we'll also look a little bit at how the powers kept the Jews and Gentiles separated, what that was, uh, and how God fixed that. And so the title of this sermon is One New Humanity, because as we're going to see today with the new covenant, God joined all, Jew and Gentile, male and female, bond and free, uh, into one new people with a new standard of living. Um, so we've had this slide on themes in every, and uh, I think every sermon so far, so you know, of course I couldn't leave it out. Uh, but it is particularly uh, appropriate today because we're really going to see the first three of these themes here as we, as we read through Ephesians 2. First is that God called people into community. Uh, and this is, you know, we're going to think about two communities in particular, the Jews and the Gentiles. Um, but when we think about God's covenants, we're going to see how really that is two communities and it's to build relationship with those communities. We're going to see how, through Jesus, there's a new order, a new way of living, that he established a new system. So we're going to see the new order and the new creation. And then finally, unity in Christ, you know, especially between the Jew and the Gentile, as we, as we look at this section. So let's get started. We're going to start by reading through the whole second half of Ephesians 2, uh, and then we'll hone in on the first six verses, which is our section for today, and particularly the first three verses. So uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me, or you can just read along the slides. We're going to read verses uh, 11 through 22. Therefore, remember that at one time, Y'all Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, 
Remember that y'all were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, y'all who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to y'all who were far off and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father." So then, y'all are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, y'all also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit." So to briefly cover the whole second section, we see the earthly, social, physical separation between the Jew and Gentile. We see that the Gentiles were strangers to the covenants, and they were foreigners to God's covenantal people. We see hostility between those two groups of people, how Jesus solved the enmity, and finally, God's plan for both groups now forged into one new humanity to be his temple. And so when you think about what we've seen over the past two weeks, you know, we saw we were dead in trespasses and sins. We were separated. We, God, through his grace, redeemed us, pulled us out of that, and then we are his workmanship. And we see that parallel in this section. We see that the Gentiles are separated from God's people, that God pulled them into relationship with him and then built both groups into his temple, so his workmanship. So let's, let's hone in on the first section of that and uh, jump back to verse 11, and we'll start, we'll start going through this and thinking about this some. So back in Ephesians 2.11 and verse 12, we'll read, Therefore remember at that time, y'all Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that y'all were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And so the first thing I want to point out here is that when you're reading through Ephesians 2, starting in verse 11, you see a stark contrast in tone to the first 10 verses. You know, we started out the past two weeks looking at the prince of the power of the air, salvation through grace, you know, trespasses and sins. These are like big cosmic level ideas about the situation of humanity. And then as soon as we get to verse 11, you know, what do we have here? In the flesh, made in the flesh by hands. We've got these phrases that are pulling it down to a earthly, fleshly viewpoint of the situation. And so 
you know, we're shifting the, the, we're looking at the same situation, the separation and how that got fixed, but from an earthly perspective and from a covenantal perspective of the problem and the solution. And so, you know, we start off thinking about a real tangible problem. The Gentiles were separated from Christ. They were outside of God's covenantal people. They did not have the promises of those covenants and the hope. And then we can see here that there's some animosity between those two groups of people. The Gentiles were derided as the uncircumcised by the Jews. They were seen as lesser people, um, you know, because they were not God's holy chosen people. And to an extent, they were right. The, the Gentiles weren't God's holy chosen people. Now, I'm not saying the Gentiles were lesser or that God didn't love them, but, you know, they, the Gentiles were outside of the covenants, and that was a big problem. Um, you know, so I want us to think about this for a minute, and we're going to stop here and pause and consider why did the Jews have hope through these covenants? What, what were the covenants of promise, and why did it give them hope? And why was it such a big deal for the Gentiles to be outside, to be strangers and foreigners to that? So first, uh, I want to start off with a definition of what a covenant is. Um, and so behind me, yep, there we go, got it, is a quote from a book called Kingdom Through Covenant, uh, which is an excellent book for looking at progressive covenantalism and considering how the covenants fit into God's um, plan for mankind, his building of the kingdom, and his progression toward that. Um, but this is a quote on page 132, and it's adapted from a quote from Daniel C. Lane. Um, and it says, a covenant is an enduring agreement which defines a relationship between two parties involving a solemn binding obligation or obligations specified on the part of at least one of the parties toward the other made by oath under threat of divine curse and ratified by a visual ritual. And so we're going to look at three of the covenants Briefly, very briefly, we're going to go through like the story of the Old Testament in like you know ten minutes. Uh, so bear with me. <laughs> uh, but we're going to look at three of the old covenants and see what those would have meant to the Jewish people at the time, uh, and how they would have like how this is framing the context for Ephesians two. Um, and we'll see some of these elements here: the, the ratified by a visual ritual, especially in the first two that we'll look at. And we'll see this, like, agreement between the two parties. So first, we go back to Genesis, and we go to the Abrahamic covenant. And so this is a covenant that was made with Abram, later renamed Abraham. Um, and it's a covenant that was made with one family, Abraham and his family, uh, made with him and his descendants. It was ratified by, and you can read this in Genesis 15, you can read about the ceremony that happened. Uh, it was ratified by the sacrifice of a heifer, female goat, ram, turtle dove, young pigeon. Most of them were like three years old, so that has some significance. I'm not super sure what, but <laughs> uh, but you can read. And then, you know, the, like a fire passed through the, the separation of the sacrifice. And so that was the ratification ceremony uh, that made this covenant binding. Um, and as part of this covenant, God gave a bunch of promises to Abraham and to his descendants. First, we see a land promise, uh, you know, that, that they would have land. 
uh, we see that God would make him the father of a multitude of nations, that the nations would be blessed through his offspring, and that kings would come through his offspring. And then the sign of the covenant, what I mean by this is what signified that someone was a was participating in the covenant? What, what did they do to say, I, I'm opting in, I want to be part of this covenant, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do my part. Uh, and that was circumcision. And circumcision um, in the Abrahamic covenant was a really big deal. Uh, it was really important, and, you know, there was, like, this is pretty stark. Like, if you are not circumcised, you are cut off from the covenant. So, um, you know, this sign of the covenant was really important to the people at the time. You know, and you can see those tensions there in Ephesians. Um, and then... The last you know, block I have on there was, what did it find fulfillment in, or what, did it, what was it looking toward? Uh, what was the Messiah's relationship to this covenant through time? And you, know, you can read about this in, Gen- in, uh, not Genesis, in Galatians 3, like how, how Jesus related to this covenant. They were looking for one who would bless all the nations, the offspring of Abraham. And I don't mean the band, I mean, I mean the Messiah. <laughs> The Christ Jesus. So, so this was you know, one of the covenants, something they had in mind. Abraham's family multiplies. They become a people rather than a family. Uh, they get enslaved in Egypt. A few, you know, a few centuries later, they leave Egypt. Uh, and you know, again, we're moving through this very quickly. But eventually, God makes a covenant with Israel through Moses. And so this is the Mosaic Covenant, the Israelic Covenant, or the Old Covenant, as it's uh, sometimes referred to. And this was a covenant with one nation. So now this is, you know, we had a covenant with a family, and now we have a covenant with a nation, uh, the nation of Israel. It was ratified by the sacrifice of peace offerings, notably oxen and their blood. So specifically, it was the blood of oxen that was being used, you can read about that in Exodus 24. That was the ratification ceremony that made this uh, covenant binding. It involved promises from God as well. God promised that Israel would be God's personal treasure and that they would be a holy nation and a kingdom of priests, among, among other things. And then the sign, like what, what showed you, you, you know, that Israelites were participating in this covenant was the sign of the covenant. Well, first is that they served Yahweh alone and had no other gods before him. And then adherence to the Torah, the Ten Commandments, the judgments, you know, all the laws that were given to them, following those showed that they were a part of this covenant. They were a part of this relationship with God. And then it eventually looked toward and saw fulfillment in the one who would do the Torah completely, the one who lived it out, every day of his life, who would fulfill the law, the Messiah, the Christ, of course, Jesus. And then we have the Davidic covenant. Uh, You know, so Israel is given the the law, how they're supposed to live. Um, They eventually had some judges that ruled over them and decided that, you know what, they don't want Yahweh as their king. And so they had Saul as a king. He didn't grow so great. Uh, So then David's their king, and God establishes a covenant with David. Um, And as far as we know, uh, you know, 
if anyone does know and I missed something, uh, there isn't a description of the ratification ceremony for the Davidic covenant, but what we do know you can read about in 2 Samuel 7 and Psalm 89. Uh, this is, again, a covenant with one nation, with the kingdom and nation of Israel. It promises that the throne of David would be established forever and that his offspring would be established forever. And it looked toward and saw fulfillment in a Davidic king, a descendant of David who would reign on his throne forever. So <laughs> I just went through very quickly uh, these three old covenants, and there is far, far more to say on the topic uh, than what you know, I just went through. Um, but I highly recommend reading through the book Kingdom Through Covenant if you want to read about the covenants and how they all sort of fit together. And then uh, Living Hope has a class called New Covenant Theology if you want to learn about progressive covenantalism and about you know, some of the different viewpoints on the way that you can think about how all these things fit together. Uh, that's, a, that's a great class. Um, and I highly recommend it. Um, so we've looked at that real quick. Um, but we see that the Jewish people could hold on to this, and they had these promises that they could cling to, that they could look toward um, and place their hope in. And, you know, sometimes this got to their head a little bit. <laughs> you know, they, they ended up kind of building these barriers between them and the other nations, which they were supposed to be a light to the nations to show other people how to be God's people and how, but they ended up isolating themselves um, from, from everyone else. But that all changed. Let's go back to Ephesians. We're going to take a look at verse 13, and uh, we're going to see a big transition for, you know, especially the Gentiles at this time. So verse 13 of Ephesians 2 says, But now... But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And so this is big. This is a big statement right here. Because what Paul was talking about here in Ephesians, that was the status quo. People understood that. They're like, yeah, 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 of course we're, you know, we're out. If you're a Gentile, you're like, yeah, it kind of sucks. <laughs> but now you've been made near by the blood of Christ. So how does that work? That's a little weird if you think about it, right? Like, what does the blood of this guy who was nailed to a cross do to change the situation? The reason that Jesus' blood changed the situation was because his blood inaugurated a brand new covenant that God made with all mankind, with the whole world. And so this is the new covenant, which you can see up here. And it is a covenant with everyone. It's you know, expanded beyond just Israel. It's a covenant with the whole world. It was ratified by the spilled blood, the broken body, and the death of Christ on the cross. It involves a lot of promises from God. Uh, and you know, many of these are in the Old Testament that you can read about. Jeremiah 31, 32, Ezekiel 11, uh, Isaiah 59. Uh, there's some, you know, you can read in Hebrews. We'll actually go there in a minute. Hebrews 9. Um, and so God prophesied, prophesied about this and promised a lot 
uh, in this new covenant, that it would be an everlasting covenant, that he would give a new spirit and a new heart to his people, that the law would be written on their heart, that we would have the forgiveness of sin. So when we think about what we heard in the song earlier, that we have forgiveness through the blood of Jesus, that's what this means. His, his blood paid and ratified this new covenant, which has the forgiveness of sins. Uh, as part of the promise that God is, is giving to his people. It also comes with eternal life and an eternal inheritance. And so what is the sign of the covenant? What shows that, you know, any one of us is participating in this new covenant? Well, it's living righteously. It's the fruit of the Spirit that we show in our lives. It's being transformed by the Spirit, having changed hearts, following the examples and the teachings of Jesus. And it is our citizenship being in the kingdom of God and not being of this world. That's how we show other people that we are part of God's people. Um, So let's look at uh, Hebrews 9. And I want to point out that this new covenant, its purpose wasn't just to expand the scope of, of God's people, of who God was trying to draw into relationship. It wasn't just widening the net. Uh, you know, the old covenant, the, the law was good, but you can see that Israel kept failing to follow it. Um, it wasn't working super well, and they kept messing up. And, you know, as, we, as we're going to see here in Hebrews, the author is showing that a better covenant has come. And so here we see that the Jews also were supposed to partake in this new covenant to, um, to join into a new humanity of God's chosen people. So we'll kick it off in verse 11 of Hebrews 9. And it reads, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Therefore, he is a mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. And so here the author of Hebrews is saying that unlike the old covenant, which was in a tent made with hands uh, and used the blood of animals to cover for sins, this new covenant is made in the perfect tent. Jesus is now mediating from the perfect tent in heaven, and he is the mediator on our behalf. Um, and so that's, you know, it's a, little, it's a little interesting too, right? Like he, strangely, is the sacrifice but because God raised him from the dead, he is also now the mediator. So he's, you know, he's like playing multiple roles here in the covenant. He's like, yeah, I sacrificed myself, but now I'm also going to mediate for it. So, um, you know, so it's interesting to think about that. Um, and so there's this new, better covenant. 
Uh, and you know, this is this is an appeal to to the Jews, to the Hebrews at the time as well. And so with this new covenant, we can see a sort of progression of the covenants and of the scope through time. And this is, this is kind of the, the theory of progressive covenantalism. This is what it's drawing on, that you have a covenant made to one family, to Abraham and his family. Then it gets expanded to a nation of people. God makes a covenant with a nation of people. And then eventually we have the new covenant made to the whole world. And it's this last covenant that God's really going all in on. Um, he sacrificed his only son to initiate, to ratify this covenant, to make it binding, to make it legal for us. That's a big price to pay. Um, you could say that this new covenant is God's coup de grace. It was his final blow to death and sin. And so now, because of this, this is how Paul could say, the Gentiles have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's how Christ's blood draws them near. And so I want to um, draw on the last couple weeks a little bit and talk about grace and this new covenant um, and the gift of God, because we're going to see some strong parallels between the two. Um, and first, I want to think about the concept of a gift, right? We considered last week what a gift was in um, you know, in an Eastern mindset as compared to our like Western no-strings-attached gift. A gift was given to draw people into relationship. Well, what was a covenant meant to do? A covenant, God made these covenants to draw communities into relationship with him. And so we see this like strong parallel of this, this gift that, that God was giving. And this new covenant was certainly a gift. Uh, as we're going to think about kind of um, these six uh, aspects of the new covenant, as I'm calling them, because we looked at the six aspects of grace, right? These traditional ideas about grace. I just reframed them into six aspects of the covenant. Uh, we're going to see how this uh, parallels very, very strongly. First is superabundance, right? This new covenant came with a lot of promises. It came with a lot of like really big promises, like eternal life, the forgiveness of sins, uh, you know, that God would empower His people, that He would pour out His Spirit. Uh, young men would dream dreams. And, you know, like there's all these prophecies that get tied to this new covenant and to what God would do. So it's super abundant. Um, we see singularity, that God is always good, that God did this out of love and kindness and goodness. Uh, we see the priority of it, that this covenant was ratified before any action was taken on, by mankind. God initiated this through his son. Um, you know, certainly no one who was attending the crucifixion was like, yeah, let's join in on this new covenant. Uh, you know, they, if you were not consenting to his death, you probably had no idea what was going on at the time because it was chaotic. Fourth, we see incongruity. Uh, we were dead in trespasses and sins uh, when God made this covenant with us. And, you know, in humanity in general didn't uh, deserve God reaching out with this covenant. They murdered his only son. The only, good, <laughs> the only good person who ever did all the things right. That's what humanity did in response to God sending his son. They murdered him. And so humanity did not deserve a new covenant. They did not deserve for Jesus' blood to pay for their sins. Efficacy. 
Number five, we saw that with grace, that it empowers God's people. Well, what did this new covenant do? God poured out his spirit on mankind. He empowered man to live differently, to have his spirit, to be uh, representatives of him through this new covenant. And sixth, uh, you know, compared as we were looking at grace, there is some circularity. There is an expected response uh, to indicate you're part of the new covenant. All of these covenants had an expected response. What is our expected response? And that's, you know, the fruit of the Spirit. That's the way that we live in response to everything that God did for us. And we're going to read a lot about that in Ephesians 4. How do we act? How do we live as part of this new humanity? So let's go back to Ephesians 2. Uh, and we'll read kind of the rest of this section. Uh, and we won't have, you know, I've used most of the time on this first half, so we'll go through it briefly. But uh, we'll consider kind of how we've been joined into one. So in Ephesians 2, verse 14, we pick it up. For he, Jesus, himself, is our peace, who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So we see here that Jesus is our peace, our peace treaty. He has made both Jew and a Gentile into one and broken down the dividing wall of hostility. And so when we look at this phrase, dividing wall of hostility, um, I think purely from a physical sense, what the readers would have been thinking about was this dividing wall in the temple. So there was a, a wall that separated the Gentiles in the outer court from the Jews in the inner court. And um, in fact, here's a picture of a sign from a museum in Istanbul uh, that they found. That was a sign that went on like one of the entrances into the inner court. And it reads, no foreigner is allowed past this point on penalty of death. So you want to think about uh, you know, a barrier, a cultural barrier that separated the Jews and the Gentiles you know, certainly, like, this is pretty extreme. Uh, there was, you know, this, isn't, this was a physical barrier, but it was also a cultural barrier that they had separating themselves from the Gentiles. Um, so that's one thing that would have been in their mind. But you're going to see here that Paul applies this to the law, specifically the law expressed in um, command, the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. And so... You have the law, but you also have like all these things that had been built up on the law over time, the rules and regulations. You, Jesus addressed these as well, the, you know, the heart of the law versus the letter of the law. And so Paul's addressing that, and we don't have time to you know, examine Paul's nuanced views on the law. Um, you can read more in Romans 7 and in Galatians 3. Uh, and you can read how Paul thought that the law was good. Its intent was good. It was a good thing but that uh, it couldn't enact the change in the hearts, in, in the minds of people. You know, some people were able to follow it to a, a decent degree, but you can look in the lives of the Pharisees. You can look in Paul's own life when he was Saul. He was trying to follow the law, and yet he was murdering people. He was going out and dragging people who were trying to do their best to follow God and killing them. 
His heart was far from God. And so, you know, the final thing I want us to consider from this passage is that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, who was there? Who was crucifying him? Well, you had the Pharisees and you had the Romans. Who were the Pharisees and the Romans? They were the Jews and the Gentiles. Jesus literally, in his flesh, accepted hostility from both Jew and Gentile. He was beaten by the Romans. He was captured by the leadership there of the Jews. They were consenting to his death. He accepted the enmity from both groups of people and with his crucifixion destroyed it. And so now the enmity has been destroyed. Whatever, you know, it, the in-group and out-group of God's covenantal people, that situation had been changed. The new covenant, ratified by his blood, made both Jew and Gentile into one new man, in one new humanity through God's grace. <laughs> both have now been joined into God's new covenantal people. And so... We can look back and we can see how the Gentiles would have read this and thought to themselves, you know, they were used to being pushed away, separated, outside. And we can see that, wow, I can now be in God's family. I can be part of God's covenantal people. I can be, I can be part of God's chosen people. And that they would no longer identify first as a Jew or a Gentile but first, their priority would be as a, a uh, member of the kingdom of God. That is their citizenship, that they are part of God's kingdom. And so, you know, being a Jew or a Gentile was secondary to that. That's how we have unity. It's because we have this new humanity that we are a part of. And so how do we take this? We can read this and, and see that we also are brought near by the blood of Christ. We, too, are part of God's covenantal people. We are part of his chosen people now. And, you know, what this means is that there are no more in-groups or out-groups that should separate us, right? You can think of, we have a lot of in-groups and out Like, humanity likes to group up. We like to group up and, uh, you know, have comfort and like people like us and push away people who are not like us. Like, that's like a natural human tendency that we do, and you see it all the time. So when we think about this, whether you're male or female, right? We form into groups like that. A secondary. We can be united through Christ. We can be united whether or not we are poor or wealthy. We can be united whether or not we are, believe it or not, Democrat or Republican. <laughs> These groups, whether you know, we're from the United States or not, where our nationality is. It doesn't matter. These groups don't define how we treat each other. They don't define how we act. They are secondary to our citizenship in the kingdom of God. So we can be joined together with people of every ethnicity uh, and background because that's not our identity. Our identity is in Christ. Pray. Lord God, we are so grateful that you have given so much, your only son, to draw 
us into, human, into relationship with you. Um, we are so grateful that you have forgiven our sins and wiped the slate clean so that we can stand before you and love you without the tethers that drag us down and weigh us down, God. We are grateful that you have done this and you have ratified it and so that we know that you will uphold your end of the bargain, God. We know that you will fulfill your promises because you have made it official. And so we come before you with humble hearts. Um, and Lord, help us to live our lives in ways that show the rest of this world what it looks like to be your people, God. Help us to shine as lights so that we can show other people what it's like to have peace that makes no sense. What it's like to have joy in the midst of chaos. You have empowered us with your spirit, Lord. And for that, we are so grateful. We pray these things through the name of our Lord, our Messiah, our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Compass Christian Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. For more information on how we are striving to follow Jesus together here in Louisville, Kentucky, check out our website, compasslou.org, where you can subscribe to our newsletter and view additional resources.